the whole growing and going together, the whole new church breaking out and getting fired up and just taking over the world. Wasn't that good? Fired you up? Well, we got one that's just as good, if not better, actually, if I do say so myself. Um, We're going to be in the book of James today, starting today and in the next few weeks. And um, have you guys read the book of James before? You should have. It's easy. It's one of the shortest ones. You know, I know there's some that are like, whoa, so long. But read James. I hope you guys would read James ahead of time. We're going to be talking about the book of James for the next few weeks, maybe a couple months here. And James is so good because it's full of such practical advice for us. It's just basic Christian living. If you were to look for a how-to book in the New Testament, this would be the book. How to live your life as a Christian. The main premise of James is that we would actually live like Christians. We would live our faith. Today's title of the message today is that talk is cheap. Anybody in here ever fallen prey to false advertising? False advertising, a product or something that someone tried to give you or pawn off on you or Craigslist you or something and you fell for it? And you put, no, they're all shamed to say it. They're like, oh me, but no, we fall into this, this stuff sometimes, right? The false advertising thing. Um, the, the, the whole premise of the book of James is that when you tell it, listen to this, this is good. You can quote me on this one. This is, I came up with this on my own, I promise. I tweeted it because I thought, oh, this is even Twitter worthy. This is a good one. Okay, check this one out. The whole premise for the book of James is when you tell people you're a Christian, make sure it's not false advertising. Oh, good one, huh? Go ahead and write that down. Carl Moore, October 16th. Good one, right? Retweet that one. That one's good, but you know what? That's what I get out of reading the book of James. When you tell people you're a Christian, make sure it's not false advertising. Because false advertising is irritating. Anybody ever used to read comic books in here when you were a little kid? Comic book readers? Yeah, that's cool. It's getting to be a cool thing. It never used to be that cool. It was like for geeks or whatever. But it's cool now because they're making all the movies, right? All the DC comics, Marvel comics. Have you just watched, um, what did we watch last night, babe? Which comic? Green Lantern. All she remembers is Ryan Reynolds in tights. Mm. Green Lantern. We watch Thor. We watch X-Men. We watch all of these comic book things, right? So I'm thinking, I used to read comic books when I was a little kid. But when you're a little kid, you easily get suckered into stuff, right? Because everything looks cool, false advertising, and it makes me mad that they prey on little kids. But in the back of the comic books when you're a little kid, there was this one thing that they had always tried to sell little kids because it was so cool. What it was was this whole little family of creatures that looked like they could be your friends and your pets, and you could name them, and they swim around. And Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Sea monkeys. Anybody remember that? Sea monkeys? You guys are old enough to remember that? Yes. Come on, you guys can't be that dumb. I'm not dumb, but just uneducated on sea monkey habitation. But there, in the, on the back of the comic books, there was, just for those of you guys that were unaware, you weren't a little kid like me that read comic books, there's this, they advertise, there's this family that you can send away, send your money in, and they, they, you will gain this little family of creatures, this little pets. And, I mean, the picture looks cool. They got little horns, and they're swimming around. There's, like, the mom sea monkey and the little kid sea monkeys, and they all look different. You're like, oh, my gosh, little kid, I'm thinking. Number one, I never knew that there were such creatures that existed in this world. I've never seen these on National Geographic. This is cool. i got to buy these guys. So I saved all my allowance money. I send away. I get these things. And you know what comes in the mail? Brine shrimp. You guys know what brine shrimp is? It's like the little feeder shrimp to actual fish in the pet store. These dumb, tiny little shrimp that you can't see, you can't eat, you can't do anything with. You for sure cannot name them and have them as your friends because they're just all these stupid little brine shrimp floating around in your tank. And it's just a waste. And talk about false advertising. Talk about such a letdown when I'm expecting 
a fun family to come into my little world. And all I get is just these dumb little shrimp. Oh, it's so irritating. False advertising. How many of you guys have ever been taken in by something? What's a false advertising product that you bought? Anybody? Teeth whitening. And it didn't work? That's rude. Yeah, and you spend a lot of money on that stuff. It doesn't work. What else? Anybody? Let me ask this one. Anybody ever bought any product having to do with strengthening and tightening your abs. Come on, let me see the hands. Ab products. Don't lie. I know you guys buy the rollers and the... Right? I know you guys buy that stuff because they make money. And I always see it on Craigslist. So if someone buys it and they're reselling it. But false advertising, it doesn't work. You don't end up looking like a supermodel or a bodybuilder. False advertising is a joke. And the whole book of James is talking about this. He's basically saying, hey, if you got faith, if you got real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it should show in your life. There should be some results. That it should actually, you should look like what you're talking about. You don't just come to church here once a week and go, hey, I'm a Christian, look at me. And then the whole rest of the week, people are like, you're a what? Yeah, right. The way you did that, did you did that? The words you say? No, the whole thing about James, which I love, is this guy James giving us practical advice on, if you're a Christian, you better live it. Talk is cheap. Don't be someone that false advertises Christianity. I want to give you a little bit of background on James because the book of James, um, chapter 1, verse 1 says, this is a letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes who are the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Okay, so who is James? Who is this James guy? I want you guys to know a little background on who James was so you can kind of see the context of who he's writing to, why he's writing, where he got the information he got that he would want to write a letter to us. Okay, there's several Jameses listed in the New Testament, and I want you guys to realize there's one that was James, son of Alphaeus or something. It's not that guy. He's just mentioned once. But there's James and John, the, the two brothers. You guys remember them? The James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder that Jesus called them. They had hot tempers or whatever, spontaneous kind of guys. James and John. This is not that James, okay? Get that out of your head right away. It's not the early apostles. Why? Because that James was martyred for his faith around Acts chapter 12. King Herod Agrippa came in, didn't like this whole Christianity teaching because he thought it went against the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament law. So he had this James killed, James the, the brother of John. So he was killed. Stephen was the first martyr in Acts chapter 7 when the persecution came to the early church. And so what happened was, There was all these Christians in Jerusalem. We read about this in early Acts. Jesus left. He went back up to heaven. He set up his church. Peter started preaching. 3,000 get saved in one day. The church is thriving in the town of Jerusalem. Persecution comes. They stone Stephen. They kill James with the sword. All the believers start scattering into the surrounding areas of Palestine and the Mediterranean area all around the world. They run for their lives. But as they go, they're out there trying their best to live the Christian faith and tell people about Jesus everywhere they go. But in the meanwhile, as everyone's scattered, Peter's out doing his thing, Paul's doing his thing, James, this James we're talking about, rises up as the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he's a well-known, well-respected leader, and he's writing to give advice to all the believers that are scattered around the world, and all believers everywhere, which includes you and me. Um, What happened, what makes him a little bit more famous than the other James that was put to the sword we know it wasn't him writing because this is written a few years after. This, is, this letter James is writing is written around Acts chapter 14 as Paul was coming back from his first missionary journey. This guy, James, you know who this James was the brother of? Jesus. 
He was actually Jesus' brother. Some of you guys are like, Jesus had a brother? What's going on? Well, it says in Scripture, there's a couple places. If you want to go look them up, I'll give you the references. Matthew 13, 55, if you just want to write that down. And Galatians 1, 19, let us know that Jesus, although he had, it was more half-brother, because Jesus' parents were basically Mary and the Holy Spirit, right? The, the whole immaculate conception thing. But Mary and Joseph had other kids. And it says in those verses I gave you, Matthew 13, 55, Galatians 1, 19, it gives reference to them. It said Jesus had a brother named James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. And actually the last guy, Jude, or in some places in the Bible says Judas, but this is Jude who wrote the book of Jude in the New Testament. So two of Jesus's brothers, James and Jude, actually both found their way as leaders in the church and wrote books that were actually put in the New Testament. Isn't that kind of interesting? Something you learn every day, right? It actually even says that Jesus had some sisters because there's people referring and saying, oh, who's this guy, this, this carpenter's son from Galilee, from Nazareth? Who, who is this guy, Jesus? Who does he think he is? He's not the Messiah. He's a carpenter's son because we know him. We know his mom and dad. We know his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. And we even know his sisters. Doesn't give their names, but we know that he also had some sisters. So interesting stuff. So this is the James that's now writing this letter um, he eventually became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He died for his faith as a martyr about 30 years later. There's mixed history on how he died and th- that kind of stuff, but we know he died as a, a martyr. And the main thing is that I want to point out to you guys, and what James is writing in his book, his four chapters of this book, is he's just basically trying to say, if you're a Christian and you're out there and you scattered and you left the, the Jewish church because you're out there in the world, hey, make sure that you're living your faith. I know it's hard. He's writing specifically to these guys going, I know it's hard. I know you're the minority. You're in Gentile communities. You used to have this great thriving life back in Jerusalem and this church and your businesses and all that. And now you're kind of poor and you're scattered and there's not like a big church all around you. But he's saying this, go out there and be the church. Go out there and be the church. And it's written to all believers everywhere as kind of directions for how to live the life as a Christian. James tells it straight. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells it straight. And did you know that this book of James... You're going to read it and you go, that sounds like I've read that somewhere before. James doesn't directly quote Jesus, but he reiterates and reintroduces the teachings of Jesus and sticks to what Jesus said more than any other writer in the Bible. The, the book of James is written almost patterned completely after James or after Jesus and Paul's words written elsewhere. He, he writes more of what Jesus said than anybody else. And so we're going to see this in the fact that James is trying to say, if you're a Christian, you better live it. Now, he says good, good works and good faith have to go hand in hand. He's not trying to say, he's not trying to contradict Jesus or Paul in saying your good works will get you salvation. He's not saying that. You can't earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is if you call yourself a Christian, you better live it. You better show in your life. No false advertising, right? No talk is, talk is cheap kind of stuff. You better actually put your, put your money where your mouth is. And so talk is cheap. And so as we get into it, there's four things. We're going to go through the whole first chapter of James right now. There's four main things that James talks about. And all of them is, is keep in mind now, this is James basically saying, here's how to live a Christian life. Here's how to walk your talk if in this situation. Practical stuff. And, he, and he's going to talk about this. It's in your notes. Here's how to be a good Christian and to live it out when your faith is tested. Here's how to be a good Christian and to walk your talk when you need wisdom. Here's how to be a good Christian to live your life when we look at our money, 
And here's how we learn to live as Christians when we hear God's word. And I believe this sermon is going to have something for every one of us in here. But let's look at the first thing James is saying. Here's what you do when your faith is tested. There's going to be trials and troubles that come your way that you didn't ask for, that you didn't create, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to knock you down. But how do you respond to it if you're going to live your faith and not just talk about being a Christian, but actually live it? He starts off in verses 2 to 4 with troubles and trials and hardships that come our way. Then he drops down to verse 12 through 17 that says when your faith is tested, not through troubles and trials, but through temptations, two entirely different ways of testing our faith. One is the unforeseen, the stuff bad that happens to us. One is the temptations where we kind of give in to our own urges. So it's a two, two different things, but it's when your faith is tested. Look at verse 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Okay, right away, we're kind of going, wait, James, what are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. When hardship comes our way, when we've just been scattered out of our homes and we're out there and people are trying to kill us because they don't like our new faith, what do you mean consider it an opportunity for joy? He says in verse 3, for, when you, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Here's the first thing you need to do that James is telling us about when you're tested. You can write this down under that first part. When our faith is tested, here's what James says, change your thinking. James is going, hey, when that really hard, ugly, difficult thing is happening in your life, be excited. That's an opportunity for joy. What? James is saying, change the way you think towards trials. If you can think of trials differently going into them, there's more chance that you're going to get through them. Okay, if you have the right attitude going into them. He's saying, change your thinking. Change your thinking so that when you see it coming, you just go, oh boy. I don't, want to, I don't really like this. I don't like what's happening to me right now in the midst of this. But something good's going to happen. I'm going to get through this one. God's trying to do something in my life. I'm going to grow through this situation. Change the way that you think and use it as an opportunity to get stronger. And I know that's hard to do, but you change the way you think. Romans 12, says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you by changing the way you think. See, the, the, the common reaction to troubles and hardship is, I'm bummed, I'm giving up, I'm going to seek help, this is, this is lame, it's going to knock me down. But James is going, no, if you're a real Christian, you got God on your side. He's got your back. You respond to it differently. God, i got to go through this thing. I didn't ask for trials and tribulation to come my way, but I'm sure as heck not going to let it overcome me. I'm going to make the decision to take a hold of what God has given me, and I'm going to get through this thing, and I'm going to overcome this problem in my life. But James is saying, change the way you think as you immediately are going into this thing. It says in Romans 12, too, it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This past week, um, I happened to be out with a couple of my friends. We had a day off, and I was out with Pastor Tom and uh, Pastor Rob Willitzer that you saw up there on the screen. And the three of us all went out on... Um, you guys know uh, Ernie, Pastor Ernie, that does the Gateway program? I don't know if he's here this morning. But Ernie's a great guy. He owns a great boat, and he always lends it out. So he makes him even a greater guy because he always lets us use his boat for free. Ernie's one of the most generous guys I know. Anything at his house, he's like, come over. It's yours. Take it. So we take his, his what is it, 17, 19-foot uh, sea squirrel or whatever boat out on the bay. And our idea was to go from, um, from Rob's house in Cardinway Bay and take the boat out, and we we're going we to kind of troll along the way, put the lines out, try to catch fish, and go all the way around the base, past Kailua, and go to outside Waimanalo to the surf spot that's out there on the reef. 
And so we did it, and we, go, we start away, and we're trolling. We fill the gas tank up just to make sure we could get back in time. Um, we start trolling. We caught two kava kavas. We actually ate them. So we're stoked along the way. Yeah, we caught two fish. We get out to the spot. It's breaking. No one's out. We surf for a couple hours. We're all excited. What a good day. We're coming back in. We go chasing after. We see some bird piles, and we're thinking, oh, maybe there's some fish over there. We chase them. Didn't catch anything. But then we came back in, and we start to look at the gas gauge, and it went down way faster than we thought. And it's fluttering on E as we're coming around the base, and we're not quite in Kanye Bay yet. And we're coming around the edge, and it's fluttering, and then it's on dead E, and then the, the motor just stops. And we're stuck, and there's got to be a joke in here somewhere, three pastors in a boat. But we, uh, we're forced to drop anchor, and we're stuck. It's less than an hour till dark, so even if we get a hold of someone, by the time they get to us, get a boat out there, tow us in, navigate the reef, get inside... It's looking pretty grim, right? And the waves are going, and we're sitting there. And you know that when the, the boat is stopped, that's when you get seasick, right? You're just rolling. So we're trying to, like, drink Red Bulls and potato chips and trying not to throw up. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is not a fun situation. But I'll tell you this. My immediate response to this literally was what this verse is talking about, is I laughed at this situation. Myself and Tom and Rob, we all just laughed, like, oh, here we are, stuck out of gas in the middle of, almost in the bay, but not quite. It's going to be dark in less than an hour. But we literally had to laugh on it. And the reason why is because we know that God's in control. We know, I mean, if God's not on the side of three pastors, come on, I don't know who he's on the side of, right? So there's three of us, and we're praying, and we're hoping that we get through this thing okay. But we had to laugh because we went into it just going, you know what, it, it's a grim situation, but by being defeated and by feeling this is a tragedy and by feeling depressed, it's not going to make it any better. We might as well laugh. I've been in worse situations. In fact, the last time Tom and I went out in the boat with Rob, he brought a a little dinghy from like the 70s that literally said, made by Sears and Roebuck. (laughs) Sears, a little boat, right? They were out there. And we take it out to go surf and we, we, it's got handles on it. So we tied the anchor rope to the handle and we're out there surfing for a couple hours. We look back and the boat's gone. And we paddled into where the boat was, and all that's there is the anchor line with a little piece of the boat floating tied to it, just floating around. So literally, the boat just broke and floated away, and so we had to go chasing it, and there's sharks, and we're freaking out, and we got it. We got through that fiasco. Um, I can think a couple months back, I was out riding jet ski, and we were launching, and I hit reef or something, and this huge hole this size just gets torn in the bottom of the jet ski. So as I'm riding it, it's going slow. And I start sinking, and I'm out by Kapapa Island in the middle of the bay, and no one to help, but I was with Lance, luckily, our assistant men's pastor. He tied a rope on, he starts towing me, and we're like, well, we just hope it stays afloat by the time you get all the way to the pier. I'm like, yeah, I hope it does, because you're riding the ski that works, and I'm back here sinking. And we, had to, we were going slower and slower, and I'm getting lower and lower, and I barely made it in. But I got through it, right? And I've been out in big waves before. I've been out in, in, in other difficulty at sea. I've been out in a time with a, my, my friend and his dad at a men's camp out at Kapapa Island when I was a younger kid. And the dad didn't really know what he's doing. He drove kind of sideways to the wave. A wave came. The boat almost flipped all the way over. But I held on. I'm like, yeah, we made it. We didn't flip over. I look back. Speak for yourself. All I saw was my friend's dad's bottom of his feet going overboard. <laughs> And my friend was already over and out and under the boat, and the motor's still going, and we're just driving away, and I'm in the front going, hey, who's driving this thing? And they're all in the water, and I've been through this kind of stuff. So as I'm thinking of all of this, we get stuck in the channel the other day, and all I can do is laugh. And I go, okay, God, here's another opportunity. This is going to be a great story to tell. Never get in a boat with Rob Willitzer again. 
But as I'm thinking about this, this is what this verse is saying right here is, change your thinking when you go into hard times. And I'm not trying to make light with a silly story because I've also been through some crap. I've been through some heavy stuff that's way worse than being in a boat anchored into, in the channel. I've been through, my mom went through breast, breast cancer. That's heavy to go through with your family. All around about the same time, my dad went through stuff with anxiety attacks and depression. I've been through some stuff where I lost two good close friends within two days apart. Some of you guys that know me, you know some of the stuff that I've been through. My daughter almost died once in the hospital. I've been through some, some pain and some loss. And we all have that kind of stuff, right? We all have some hurt and some hardship in our lives. But I can tell you this, that every time I look back at all of those times, I realize that I grew the most having gone through those times right after those. I grew the most in the Lord. The second thing I have to tell you that, that James is basically telling us about the hard times is learn and grow from those troubles. Learn and grow. The times that I've grown the most in the Lord and in my faith, if it's a real faith at all, it's been when I've had to use that faith in the midst of hard times and struggles and trials. So I'll tell you this again. I don't ever ask or pray for hard times and trials and troubles in my life. But I sure as heck will not be overcome by them. Amen? Because I serve a mighty God that has taken me through that so I can get through the next one and the next one. And so I go into it thinking differently. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to become stronger. I'm not going to let this thing knock me down. I'm going to be stronger because I've had to exercise my faith through this thing. Then he talks about temptations in verse 12, which is a little different testing of the faith than the trials. Because he says this in verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Remember, when you're being tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. And here's where temptation comes from. Different from trials, here's where temptation comes from. Look at verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires. Temptation comes from us. Say us. us. Say me. me. Temptation comes when I, when you, let yourself get tempted, give into it, leads to sin, leads to destruction in your life. It says, temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away, not from God. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and where sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Here's what James tells me about temptation. The first thing I got to be aware of as I wrote this down is recognize what tempts you to sin. Write that down. Recognize what tempts you to sin. Take notes on this stuff. This is good for many churches. Go to look. This is good to look at later on in your devotion time. I saw Ernest brought his clipboard in here today. I was like, hey, pretty smart. Something hard to write on. Where's your Bible? No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Write this down. Recognize in your life what tempts you to sin. Because if you don't recognize it, you're going to fall into it every time. And in sin, when it gives birth to destruction and death, is going to destroy your life, right? So the first thing we need to do is realize what are the things that tempt me. Because the things that tempt me are probably different than the things that tempt you. We might have some of them in common, but all of us have different things, are areas where we know that our life's going to get jacked up if we follow down this train of thought and we allow those thoughts, the selfish desires, to come in there and to sneak in there. Right When it was King David in the Bible, even he was led astray by temptation. You guys remember that? When he's out on his lanai one afternoon because it's hot inside and he's 
oh, stretching. He's going out there. He's using his ab roller or whatever. You know, he's out there on the on the deck, and he's like, it's hot day, and he's cruising out there, and he's looking around. Look at my kingdom. This is cool, God. Thank you. Everything's awesome. And look at all the people, and they're like, oh, what's that? And there's a naked woman over there. What is going on, right? And we know that the sin and the destruction did not come from David looking over her. It came from David taking the second look. Wouldn't you guys agree? That the first look, we see stuff, whoa, we have the choice right then and there to say, there's temptation, but I recognize what my weakness is. I'm going back in the house. I don't care if it's hot. Turn the fan on, whatever. I'm just going to wait it out in here. Close the blinds, right? <laughs> David could have and should have done that. And that's what, that's what James is saying right here is when temptation comes along, it's you. You're the one that's giving into it. It's me. So I need to recognize what is it. See, I used to have this really fast car. I had this little Subaru WRX, right, and had the extra sport tuner on it and the downpipe, and it boosted the horsepower by 80 horsepower, and the thing would go 0 to 60 in under 5 seconds, and I have a problem with speeding because that's a weakness, that's a temptation, and I got a lot of tickets in my past, but why did I buy that car then? Bad move, right? But my, my way of thinking is, I love to do this, but I'm always tempted to speed, right? I'd pull up to red lights, and I don't care if you thought you could take me or not, I was going to, like, race you on it. This is bad. This is my confession right here. This is one of my temptation things. And so, like, oh, is this guy looking at me? I, he, I hope he's looking at me because I'm going to race him right now, right? I don't care what you're driving. I'll take Corvette. What? Honda Civic? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll go. I'll, I'll, and I would just get so tempted to speed all the time. And then finally, I just thought, you know what? I need a bigger, I need a better car, a different car, a car that I'm not going to be tempted to speed in because that's going to be a cause for trouble. If you are tempted like me to speed, buy a slow car. That's my best advice for you is avoid the temptation. I bought myself a truck because trucks aren't expected to be road racers, right? It's just a truck. It's utility. It's you throw stuff in it and whatever. I can just, I can feel comfortable now driving slow and, and not feeling tempted to like want to race everybody. It's an automatic, you know, you can't power shift. You can't do anything. It's just, I drive my truck. It's cool. Right. And I had to do that partially because oh, the family's expanding, but partially because I'm tempted to give into something that could lead to trouble, not just speeding tickets, but what if I hit someone? What if I got someone injured or something like that? See, what are the things in your life that James is saying? Temptation comes from you. You know what tempts you the most. What are you going to do about it? You know, let that anger issue just keep being there. Gossip is a temptation for you. Stop hanging around with those people. Hang out with these people because they talk about better stuff because they're positive. Those guys are negative. They're going to tear you down. They're going to tell everybody else down. You've got to make some choices. What is it that is tempting me? How you spend your money. How many of you guys in here would say you're spontaneous buyers? Come on, admit it, admit it. You watch Home Shopping Channel, right? Home Shopping Network, and you buy all that stuff. Man, I could really use another Snuggie. I really could, right? Oh, and now they came out with the Slanket? Oh, that's even better. It's got to be different, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Snuggie for dogs? Awesome. My dog needs one, too. You seen the new ones where it's just like a zip-up suit? It's like you could wear a sweatshirt and sweatpants, but you have to have them connected because it's Snuggie suit, right? Anybody seen the snazzy napper? The snazzy, anyone bought that? The snazzy napper. You know what the snazzy napper is? It's basically a blanket that you can tie on your head. It goes over your body, and it has one hole for your nose. <laughs> so you can sleep anywhere, but you're fully covered up, and it's like, I got to have one of the, oh, two, because they make a cheetah print. I'm buying both of them, right? <laughs> what is it that tempts you? James is saying, recognize it so you can do something about it, right? Isn't this good practical knowledge? 
James is a genius, but he's just writing what Jesus wrote about too. I love this stuff. Recognize what tempts you to sin. And secondly, when you recognize it, run from it. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptation in your life, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Run from it because God is always providing a way out. Don't ever try to make like there's no way out. I just got stuck. There's always a way out because temptation starts in us and our choices. David didn't have to take that second look, right? You don't have to give in to anger or to to gossip or to pornography or to drinking or whatever because you alone control your godly environment around you to say, I don't need to do that. I don't need to look at that thing. And that's what I actually see in the second thing about James. He's saying is, is, it says here is create a godly environment around you. When temptation comes your way, create a godly environment around you. Second Timothy 2.22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue, which means to chase after, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Create an environment around you because you have the choice to create your own environment. Create a godly environment around you. Be in church. Be getting fed off the word. When you got idle time on your hands, pray. Keep your mind clean. Keep it in a relationship with God, not looking at all the trouble that you could get into. Don't set yourself up to be alone with your girlfriend in the backseat of the car and you're like, it just happened. Really? That just happened? You know, you set it up. You're in a side alley. You're in the dark. No one's there. What a coincidence. We bumped into each other naked. I don't know what happened. Come on, right? You set yourself up. And it's saying right here, run from that kind of stuff. Create an environment around you where you're not going to accidentally fall into something like that. But you're creating. Talk to people around you. Enjoy the companionship of those that love the Lord. Go to church. Hang out with other Christians. Don't let this be your only time you spend with the family of God every week. Call someone. Make some friends. Go to a mini church. Get involved. Make sure you're not just sitting by idly getting tempted into stuff. Create an environment of godliness around you. I even had a friend who was in prison who said, you know what, even in prison I created a godly environment around me. I did bad stuff that got me into prison. Prison's a bad place. But when I was in prison, I began to absorb the word of God. And I created this relationship with God. I was in my word all the time. I was praying all the time. I was listening to to people on the radio preaching sermons and everything. And yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff around me. But I was in this area where I was guarding my thoughts and my mind because I was in the word and I was creating that environment around me. We need to create those environments. And the third thing about temptation is repent quickly when you fail. Repent quickly when you fail because it says that God thinks of us as his prized possession. God loves you so much and when you fall off track and get off of obeying him, get right back on it and come back to him because God is saying, I want you to do it my way, not because I'm trying to be your boss, but because my way is the best way for your life. And if you can believe that, then as soon as you fall off track, oh God, I'm so sorry, get back on track. Because God's going, my way is the best. You're my prized possession. My kids are my prized possession. Sometimes they make me mad. They get off track of what I'm telling them is best for their life. They don't obey me. They make me mad this morning getting ready for church. Three-year-old Sam is yelling and screaming. We're trying to get her in the car. I'm just like, throw her in the car. Shut all the doors and windows. Don't let the neighbors hear her because they're sleeping. I don't want phone calls, right? So get her in. And you know, all this, it's like, ah. Oh. But the only reason I'm, I want them to act the way that I want them to act and obey me is because I have their best interests in mind. Because they're my prized possession. Because on the other hand, I love to sit with Sammy, my three-year-old daughter, 
when we're watching movies together, we're on the bed and she brings all her little friends to come sit with me, right? She's got Sally the doll that looks a little too human-like for my liking. You guys know what I'm talking about? Your kids have those dolls that they just look like. And you're just like, oh, get that kid out of my house. It creeps me out, you know? And then she's got Sally, the little realistic-looking doll that I'm a little scared of, but I'll, I'll handle because any friend of Sam's is a friend of mine. She's my most prized possession. My kids are my prized possession, Right, and she brings along her other her other friend, the cat, who she named Melicity, which isn't even a real name. I don't know where she gets it. So I'm sitting there with Sally, Sam, Melicity, and then she's not all girls. She likes boy stuff too. She's got a little robot. And those of you that have been to my house before, you know us well enough. What's her robot's name? Shaina, Shaina the robot. I don't know where the name came from, but my three year old has a robot named Shaina. So the thing is. I love my daughter so much that I'll sit there and I'll be with all her because my kids are my prized possession. And when they get off track, I just want them to get right back on track because I love them. And so when you face temptation, just repent. Get back on track because God loves you. Then when you need wisdom, it says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. You He will not rebuke you for asking. God's saying, just ask. Come on, I'm not going to be mad at you. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people could not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. You know how simple it is that James is saying this to us? What do I do? You know, how do I live the Christian life? How do I live it out loud if I need wisdom, if I need something from God? James just goes, well, just ask. Wait, that's it? Just ask. God will generously give it to you. He wants to bless you. He's not going to think any prayer request is dumb. Just ask him. It's as simple as that. And how many of us in our lives, we forget to ask. When you need wisdom, here's what James says. Pray and ask. Just pray and ask. You know what the nickname for James was? You know what all his friends called him back in the day? We find this in historical records. His nickname was Camel Knees. How many of you guys would be stoked on that nickname? Camel Knees, yeah! Right? Imagine if you're like a supermodel, camel knees, yay, you know, you wouldn't get any work, right? But here's James, his nickname was Camel Knees because everybody around knew that this dude was on his knees praying about everything all the time. And here's James just going, guys, it's simple. You need wisdom. You need to make a decision. You got something going on in your life. Get on your knees and pray. Just ask God. Just do it. But how many of us take advantage of that? Well, I did ask a couple weeks ago at church. A couple weeks ago, if you want something from God, Jesus said, Seek and keep seeking. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. You're always there. Pray without ceasing. Be someone that petitions before the Lord, that you're asking him all the time. Because I know my God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. We just read all of those prayer cards. That could be you, but you're sitting there not asking. And James would go, it's as simple as this. Just ask. And then when you ask, believe that his way is the best way. Don't have any other options when you pray. God, I need your help in this situation. But in case it doesn't work out so good your way, I'm going to do it my way. You guys know what I'm talking about? We leave those options open. God, I want that girl. I'm waiting for the girl to come into my life who's going to be the dream girl that I'm going to marry. I don't know who she is, but God, I trust you. I'm praying for that. I want to marry her. I want to have kids. I want the whole package. But in case I don't like the one you pick, I'm going with the hot one over here because uh, she's looking good, right? We do that to God. We have these other options. Let me tell you something about God's will. I want you to write this down and remember this. God's will for your life, God's will for my life, God's will never has a plan B. Amen? God's will doesn't have any room for a plan B. 
If you're going to pray and ask God to do something, then you've got to trust that his way is the absolute best way and that your way is probably not. It's definitely not. You don't leave room for a plan B when you pray to God. It's his way or you're going to mess things up, right? Why pray to him at all if you're not really going to take the advice or, or do what he wants to bless you with? So you've got to believe that. And then he, James tells us what to do about money when we look at our money. Isn't this just good practical stuff? I love the book of James. When we look at our money, it says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. How many of you guys are real stoked on that one? How many of you guys are feeling poor right now because of the economy? Yeah! Poor and boasting, right? Yeah, God, right? And we're going to read why. He's saying, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises, the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. You know, basically, bottom line, what James is trying to say right here is money doesn't matter to God. God does not base your value on how much or how little you have. So if you're poor right now, be stoked because God thinks highly of you. God has honored you. God is more impressed with how you use what little or what lot you have to bless him and to bless his people. All he cares about is two commands that he gave us in Matthew, right? Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. Don't let money get in the way. Whether you're poor and you're feeling like, I'm not worth, I don't have any worth or value. I don't have much to give. God says it's not about money. It's about who you are and what you do to love me and my people. Or you're rich and you're going, man, I'm tempted. I got all this money. I got all this stuff. Ah, money doesn't matter. What matters is the only thing you can take to heaven is other people. So love God and love other people. Money doesn't matter. Then in verse 19, to finish off, he ends with this part. What do we do as Christians to live the life when we hear God's word, when we go to church, when we open up our Bibles, when we listen to sermons, when we hear God's word preached? Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God's planted in your hearts, for it alone has power to save your souls. Get rid of all the junk and accept what God's word is trying to teach you. Live that life. Live in such a way, actively, saying, I'm going to get rid of all the filth, all the junk in my life that's going to slow me down, the anger, the greed, all that stuff, and I'm going to accept the word because the word alone has the power to save my soul. But then in verse 22, here's the key, here's the clutch, here's James' focus. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. You're a joke. I'm a joke. If all we do is talk about God and we don't live it out. False advertising. Talk is cheap. James is saying, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves for you listen to the word and don't obey. It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and then you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious or holy or whatever, but you don't control your tongue, then you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Like I said, James says, you're a joke. I'm a joke. If I pretend to be holy and I can't even act it, I can't even control the words that I speak. He says, verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. We must listen to the word and then do what it says. Jesus himself said it best in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. He says it like this in the message version. I like the message version because it's kind of like the street version. You know what I mean? It's like talking straight to you. Jesus himself says this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. 
homeowner improvements to your standard of living. The word of God is not something you just kind of add a little bit. I'll take a little sprinkle of forgiveness, a little bit of blessing of, of trust, and, that, and my life will be better. Jesus is saying it's not something you just add on. He says this. They're foundational words. These are the words to build your life on. And he says this. If you work these words into your life, then you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. The rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved the house because it was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and you don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Don't you appreciate that little phrase that he uses when you work it into your life? That just makes sense to me. When I read the word of God, when I hear a sermon taught or preached, and I know the precepts and the thoughts and the ideas, the teachings of God, that I'm not supposed to just go, wow, those are good. They give me the warm fuzzies. That, that makes me feel holy. But I actually take it and I work it into my life so my faith is real. So I really got something. It affects everything that I do. Anybody in here a fan of the, the, the system, the game system that came out in 2006 by the name of Nintendo Wii? Anybody? Any Wii fans in the building right now? You guys like the Wii? Tennis and, and golf and all that? You guys are fired up on the Wii? Um, how many of you guys have broken stuff in your house because you play the Wii accidentally? Or you hit your kids accidentally? Good. Thank you. Thank you. I don't feel so guilty now. Like on playing tennis, whack. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like, oh, wait, pause the game. Okay, now let's go take care of you. Right? But the Wii is dangerous. It's deadly, but it does all these action things. And one time me and Trevor were in my house. We battled it out for like three and a half hours. Shirts off, sweating, have to turn the AC on because... What the heck? You know, it's not false advertising. iPhone 4S. This sucker lives up to what it's... Lives up to the hype right here, I'll tell you that much. But the Nintendo Wii, getting back to the Nintendo Wii. How many of you guys remember what came out, but what Nintendo, it's a great brand, what Nintendo produced before the Nintendo Wii? What was the game system right before Nintendo Wii? 2001 came out the invention of the Nintendo GameCube. Anybody? GameCube in the house? Okay, some GameCube. What about before that? 1996 came out what? N64. N64 fans? Still going strong? All right. How about 1991, the invention of Super Nintendo? Yeah, some winners there. Yeah, we got some good fans for that one. What about this one? 1989, Nintendo became portable with the invention of the Game Boy, right? These are all amazing accomplishments, but nothing as great as what came out in 1985, the original NES Nintendo Entertainment System. Any players of Nintendo NES still alive in the house? All right. If you guys are there, this is how you know if you're a NES fan. Remember this? You guys remember that? They never work. The games, you have to whack them, blow on it, put the eraser, and they never work. NES, old school, right there, right? And remember the games they had? Contra, Final Fantasy, Super Mario Brothers, right? You remember all these? Um, what else is a good one? Uh, what about this one? Mike, Pison, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Legend of Zelda, anyone? Zelda? Ninja Turtles? Yeah, those are the games. But you know which is the best game of all? Starts with the T, capital T. Tetris! I love Tetris, but let me tell you about this, and I'm going to end with this. I promise it's going somewhere at some point to this end. The amazing thing about Tetris is I got so hooked on that game, and I played it so much, that it literally worked itself into my life. 
Tetris worked itself into my life. It affected my relationship with my, my wife, girlfriend at the time, because she would call and I'd be playing because I couldn't help myself. I mean, free time, I'm at home, and what am I doing? I'm playing Tetris, I'm on the phone, and I got that little, remember the little ear receiver that rested the thing, that little thing you stick on the back of your phone back in the old days? And it kind of cradled. So I'm all comfortable there with that. And I'm playing Tetris. And she's talking to me on the phone. And call, how's your day? Oh, good. Oh, super good. Yeah. She's like, what's that clicking noise? Oh, nothing. Because I had it on mute. Yeah, so she couldn't hear the music. What's that clicking noise? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Are you playing video games? No, no, no. It really caused problems in our relationship. But Tetris worked itself so much into my life that I would dream of the pieces falling. I literally, I would dream, like, yeah, oh, good one, oh, nice, oh, I got the straight one and cleared five rows, yeah. I would wake up sometimes thinking of it, I would go to geometry class, and I would see the graph paper, and I, all I could think of was drawing Tetris on that thing, whoa, literally, driving in the road, I was thinking, if I pull into this lane and I merge, oh, that's a perfect fit. Parallel parking got so fun, because I used to, woo, just like Tetris, I fit it right into that slot, but it worked itself so much into my life that it just ruined my life for like two years. I wouldn't play it for like hours at a time, but I would play it every single day for a little bit. It was so worked into my life. Here's what I wish that I had in my life. I wish that the word of God would be that worked into my life that it would affect everything that I do. And I'm trying for it. I'm holding out. I'm a work in progress, amen? But I want to get there. And James is telling us, let the word of God work itself into every area of your life. Let it be the foundation that you build your life on. Don't be a Christian who says, I'm a Christian, false advertising. Be the kind of Christian that people know and they see and your life is changing because you live it out every single day. Talk is cheap, right? We need to be people that live our faith out loud because this world needs us to. It's not just about us and our relationship with God. Our friends, our family members are missing out on all that we have to give because we're doing the holy huddle and we're Christians on the weekend, Christians at mini church, but we're not Christians how we live our lives. James is saying, work it into your life. Let it take over. Live out loud. Talk is cheap. Is this a good word? James is going to be fun. I'm excited. We're going to get into this the next few weeks. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we just uh, love you. We love your word. We love the practical nature of the book of James. Lord, we're so stoked, Lord. I just, I can't wait to go meet this guy in heaven. Lord, all the people I read about in the Word, I just, I can't wait to meet him someday. And what was it like growing up with Jesus as your brother? I mean, it's just, it's interesting, Lord. But more than that, this book is powerful. And it reminds us of, of who we're supposed to be in our identity, Lord. We're not just supposed to, to, to hype you up and talk about you. But, Lord, we're supposed to prove it in our lives and we're supposed to live it. And we're supposed to let you have control so we would change the way we think. And whatever circumstance comes our way, Lord, we would know how to act as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, with your living Holy Spirit in us, transforming our lives daily, it should show. Help us to be like that. Help us to be a church that shows their Christianity, that is advertising a real product, and that product is you and life change. Help us to be that church, Father God. And if there's someone in this room today, there's probably a few people here, I would imagine, that you've never maybe made a commitment to truly and honestly follow God with everything you got. Heart, mind, soul, body, and spirit. To truly say, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow all that Jesus has for me. Maybe you're sitting there and you've known God or you've known about him for a while, but you've never made the commitment to really let him into your life so that you could see that life change happen. So that you could see the miracles that they were read on those prayer cards earlier. So that you really could taste and know the goodness of God. But if you're here today right now and you're saying, it's time. I think today I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take a chance, take a step of faith. I'm going to really say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's what you'd like to do to really become a Christian here and now, I would love to have the privilege of leading you into that relationship with God. 
All we're going to do is I'm going to say some words out loud. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that would make Jesus the Lord of your life. But really, it's a heart issue. It's not so much in the words you say. I just kind of walk you through something. But I'm going to say some words out loud that will bring you into a relationship, a simple relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that you don't have to say them out loud in front of everybody, but that you would pray along with me in your heart the words that I'm going to pray out loud. And I promise you, from this moment on, your life will be changed for eternity because of this newfound relationship. And if you want to make this this relationship, you want to make this commitment to God who wants to make a commitment to you to never leave you or forsake you, then I would just ask that in a minute here, I'm going to count to three. And no one, everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed sitting around you right now. But if you want to say yes to Jesus and you want to make this commitment right now, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask that you would raise your hand just to let me know, hey, Pastor Carl, I want to pray that with you right now. I'm going to pray it in my heart while you're leading me through it out loud. So if that's you right now and you want to make the greatest decision you've ever made in your whole eternity, I'm going to count to three and ask you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Go ahead and raise those hands. I see one hand right here, two right there, three, four, five, six, seven. Thank you, Lord. If you're thinking about it, say yes. Come on. God wants you. It's about seven, eight people in here. Praise God. Unreal. Best decision you'll ever make. Okay, I want you to go ahead and put the hands down. Just pray this along with me in your heart of hearts. God, I realize that you're real. Lord, I I know that there's something missing from my life, and I believe it's you. And Lord, I want to just officially say right now in my heart of hearts to you, because you know my heart. Lord, I'm going to take that chance. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. Lord, here's my life. I surrender it to you. I repent and turn away from the way I used to live for myself, for this world. And Lord, I'm giving you control. Lord, from this day on, I promise to follow you, to read your word, to to pray, to stick around in this church, a good family of people that could love me and instruct me and help me out and just pray for me. Lord, I want it all. Lord, I ask that you would fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit, that I would see miracles in my life, that I would experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. Lord, I promise to you that I will go out and get water baptized, whether today, because we have it available, or just sometime soon. Lord, I promise to, to do that symbolic act of dying to my old self, of having my sins washed away, of being born again, being a new creation who is clean and risen again in you. That, Lord, you call me holy now. You no longer judge me or condemn me, but you forgive me. Lord, all this to say, I want in. I want in your family. I want you living in me in my life. Thank you for loving me and accepting me right here and right now. This is a turning point in my eternity. I thank you for accepting me as as your child. You are now my Lord, my Savior, my best friend. Thank you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. And we praise God for all those people that prayed with us.